the show with me, Dan, and my guest, my dad. How you doing, Dad? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Thanks for... Well, first of all, before we start, I just want to say a huge thank you because I know you're very busy at the moment. And um, yeah, I know it's it's a lot for anyone to take out, you know, uh, one to one and a half hours of their time to, to do this. So yeah, I just want to start off with that, really. Thanks for, for taking the time. That's what lunch breaks are for. <laughs> I wasn't going to say you were working, but uh, but the fair enough. <laughs> um, cool. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Also, um, because there's sort of uh, busy times at the moment, I also want to say if if there are any sort of there's a lot a lot of stuff that I'd like to get through. If obviously if we don't have the time, that's that's fine. Um, but if I do sort of this is to my listeners, but also especially to you as well, Dad. If there's certain uh, answers I I push you on a little bit in terms of just trying to get clarification. Um, I don't I don't mean to be uh, pushy or or rushed or anything. It's just if there's certain things that I just want to clarify a bit more. Yeah. Um, so no yeah. Problem. Cool. Okay. Well. Um. Yeah. I'll just I'll just get stuck in if that's all right. Um. So I mean we've had a episode before. I think it was maybe the fifth or sixth uh, podcast episode. So listeners please check that out it was a really good episode we sort of covered your um history uh, and career in the police uh how many years were you in the police again 30 30 yeah so that so we sort of covered that and we did a bit on party politics um and i think we ended on sort of leadership and your sort of leadership views and and um yeah skills and tips really so um i think this one's probably going to be a lot more uh political moral um around the law um so yeah i think it'd be be an interesting one and and hopefully quite quite topical for people to to engage with um as well so yeah um i guess i'll start um so one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you this time is i sort of contacted you and about it and I, I, I realised that, you know, or as we've all realised, the police seem to have been coming over um, under more scrutiny over the last year. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, but from my perspective, it seems to be more scrutiny, maybe because of, you know, social media and everything's getting more scrutiny, but uh, particularly the, the police. Um, and yeah, so that sort of including like the, the COVID restrictions, um and uh policing the protests and the recent vigil um and 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 this new bill that's come out recently which uh some argue it increases police powers um so yeah i guess to start off um when i first contacted you um i asked if any current serving sort of police officers would would be happy to talk on the podcast um and you sort of mentioned that they wouldn't be allowed to if they're currently serving. Um, I was just sort of curious out of, yes, uh, what, why is that? Why aren't current, what are the laws and the rules around current serving police officers sort of talking, um, talking publicly? Um, the, it's, there's no laws about it because obviously some police officers do, mm. um, you know, uh, if there is a terrorist incident, the head of anti-terrorist um, will go and give an interview. Uh, there, likewise, uh, Cressida Dick has been talking recently about the the, the COVID protests or the 
the anti-COVID protests and other protests. So current serving police officers are generally um, covered by the same sort of restrictions that I, I am as an employee of my current employer. Uh, and that is, you, most, most organisations have a situation where you don't talk to the press about the organisation. Um, there, there, there are spokesmen specifically uh, trained and specifically briefed to, be, to do interviews about certain subjects um, within most organisations. So that's basically it, is that they're not allowed to by the, the, the internal regulations, but that's not, it's not specific to policing. So, but I mean, for example, if someone works in, I don't know, um, a shop, like a big, big shop, let's, let's say Amazon, for example, is there certain restrictions on police uh, talking on a podcast like this that wouldn't be in place? I know, I know you don't work at Amazon, so you don't know their policies, but are there certain uh, special things for the police that they wouldn't be able to, to talk about or certain restrictions they have? No, no, nothing more than um, any other organisation. Uh, as you know, I worked for England Cricket for seven years. There was something specific in my contract which said I am not allowed to talk to the press about anything to do with the organisation. Mm. Um, so that's it's just uh, it's usually a contractual thing, and that's built into. To be honest with you, most organisations do that. Okay, fair enough. Okay, um, I guess. Uh, sort of around that sort of point um i guess what we might be going to in a bit more in this this episode is is around um power within the police and you know how it's used how it's uh, potentially abused or um so uh, in terms of whistleblowing um it is is that do you did you find when you were there um that there were robust policies in place for whistleblowers um is there sort of a culture that is um i don't know don't know if it's conducive to whistleblowing but yeah um is that is that a generally accepted thing in the police um i would go beyond that when i joined i would say no i would say it was actually particularly frowned upon um however the police particularly the Metropolitan Police, which I was a member of, and that's all I can talk about. And please also bear in mind the caveat that I left the police nearly eight years ago. Sure, sure. This is, um, th this is historic to a certain extent. Sure. Um, when I joined the police, I think uh, whistleblowing was not part of the culture at all. I would say um, that nowadays it is not only part of the culture, but actually it is positively um, encouraged. Right. Right. Uh, to the extent that if I was, let's say I made a sexist, racist comment as a police officer um, and others heard it, first of all, they would they are required to challenge me. Um, and if they don't, they get to, if it gets found out, obviously I would be disciplined, but they would be disciplined as well. Yeah. So it's actually um, built into the... the processes procedures and that has built into the culture that actually within the met challenge is uh more more than ex accepted it is expected okay um and do you think um 
uh, obviously that that will be the it's good that that culture has changed over the time i guess there there is concern uh, maybe some other things we might go into that that when you were first in the police if it wasn't as culturally acceptable then there's still this underlying thing that might continue um do you feel that while you were there the last few years it was pretty much stamped out in terms of this uh any sort of stigma around whistleblowing um or do you understand the concern that um there would still be sort of an underlying feeling of that um the you will never um, cut it out of any organisation. Sure. I think I think the Met has done an enormous, the police generally and the Met specifically, because that's my experience, has done an enormous amount mm. uh, to try and stamp it out. Uh, but I do believe that there, there will always, culture change takes time. Mm. You know, especially in an organisation where well, the Met is nearly 50,000 people. Um, and the police across the country, I don't know how big it is altogether. But changing the culture of an organisation that big takes time. Um, so I would say it was, by the time I left, it was doing well. Uh, I had no reason to suspect it was going any other way uh, than, the, than continuing. But you're, I don't think you'll ever sure. cut out the, uh, the stigma that may be attached by some people. Um to whistleblowing yeah do you and it's actually a very difficult thing to do sometimes mm. yeah so what uh, yeah is it a difficult balance i can imagine in any organization because uh, you have to expect a certain amount of loyalty from your employees but at the same time uh you don't want um yeah you also any good organization will expect them to point out when they're going wrong um so i mean in your opinion do you think it moved quickly enough um i think Obviously, with any organisation, there has to be a level of scrutiny. But with the police and any any organisation in position of power, um, uh, the, these sort of questions, I think, potentially more important. So, in your opinion, do do you think it's it was quick enough in the time you were there, um, or do you think it was there was a lot of dragon heels and there was a lot of resistance? Um, there was a lot of resistance, and that's why culture change takes time. Um, I think it was the the change was driven from the top, um, like most organisations. <laughs> the CEO or the the chief person likes to see change, introduces change, and is some, often surprised at how long it takes. Mm. Um, and that is often down to the the underlying culture of the organisation. But um, where that drive has been continual, and it was in the police. Um, it was relentless. So I think, was it quick enough? That, I think that's a very difficult one to say, quick enough for who or for what. I think it was as quick as it could be. I think the the drive, at the, certainly at the top end, to change things was relentless. Right, okay. And and in terms of your personal views, what are your personal views on whistleblowing and people like uh, Edward Snowden, for example? Sorry, Edward Snowden did what? Oh, okay. So uh, sorry. Um, so Edward Snowden was um, he was working for the CIA, um, and he released a lot. Um, there was this whole thing in um, about ten years ago or so. Um, 
where that he he basically released that the NSA in America were spying on Americans. So oh, okay. I guess it doesn't. I guess it doesn't really matter to him. But generally, uh, whistleblowers uh, within the police or um, in these large uh, organisations like the police or the government. What are your personal views on on whistleblowers? Uh, my view is that if somebody is um, acting illegally, then absolutely it's the job of the police mm. um, to blow the whistle and I think it's the same in just about any organization it's it's where it becomes moral or ethical that 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 the gray areas start to emerge mm. I think if it's if it's illegal there's there's hard there's no gray area as far as I can see mm. but when it becomes um, do you think that's right mm. then it becomes more difficult. It becomes a value judgment by that person. Mm. Um, and again, I'd come back to the, the, the police, police's view on that when I left was report it anyway mm. and we'll make that decision for you. Mm. So uh, absolutely, I think, in order to change the culture, whistleblowing is an important part of that in order to change people's attitudes, change people's beliefs, uh, and to move the organization in the way that it should be going. Sure. Okay. Um, and in terms of, um, this is going a bit deeper into the sort of psychology of the police. Now, this this question isn't a personal question to you. This is just generally, uh, you know, you can include a bit of your own mindset in it, but also the people you worked with and just generally um, what your views are. So um, the police... Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but the main job of uh, the police is to in- enforce the law. Um, and it could be argued that this is, could it create or has it created in the, the psychology of the police sort of day in, day out? Is there a danger of a more black and white authoritarian mindset going into police officers? Um, yeah, in going into their psychology. For For example, um, I can imagine, again, correct me if I'm wrong, that debate isn't a big part of the job. It's sort of like, not quite at army level, but you get your orders, you do that, and the law is the law. And that. Do, you, do you think there's a danger, uh, and have you seen any dangers in police officers you work with in in that sort of authoritarian, black and white, I'm the boss sort of thing coming in, that sort of mindset? Okay. First of all, the primary object of an efficient police is not the, 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 um, to enforce the law. Right, okay. It was written in 1839, 1829, sorry. The primary object of an efficient police is the prevention of crime. Right, so okay. So it's working with the community to stop it happening in the first place. That's why you have police patrols. That's why you have, you know, you have people at um, demonstrations. Uh, police officers at demonstrations is there to prevent crime happening in the first place working with the with the community with society to prevent crime happening in the first place the next bit is if crime happens you've got to do something about it so the the basic premise of your question is almost wrong uh, in that that is not what police officer policing is all about now where your question is right is that the way the police is structured sometimes 
or in, in some certain circumstances, is that some roles are specific for arresting people or uh, enforcing the law. Um, and there are, certain, there are many, many occasions when the police have to enforce the law. Um, so, in, and in those circumstances, absolutely, it's, I'm right, you're wrong. It's almost, you know, it's, it's almost one of the reasons I joined the police was actually I want to be one of the good guys. Mm. Um, and they're the bad guys and I've got to do something about it. Uh, and at that point, it, there is no debate. We can have the, you know, if I've got to arrest somebody who's um, smacked his wife around the head, mm. there's no debate about that at that stage. Mm. We will interview him or her back at the police station once they've been arrested and things like that. Mm. But there is an enforcement requirement at that point. Sure. But that, but to to say that that is the basic thinking of police officers, I think is wrong. Sure. I think there, there, there are times when um, that is an absolute requirement to be able to be to do your job properly, to take that authoritarian, no debate, you're just doing as I'm told. And even, you know, um, if I was running a firearms incident uh, and I took over that firearms incident as the inspector in charge of that incident, I'm not going to be debating with my sergeants what the tactics are. No, no. I'm going to be saying close off that road, do this, do that. We can talk about it afterwards. Mm. And we almost certainly would. We'd have a debrief. We'd have a, what went well there? What could have been done better? And that was, that's the case in any major incident. You'd do that. But at that particular time, I don't want that argument with my sergeant or my PC. I just want them to do it. No. and, And I think, I think any sort of sensible thinking person would, would agree that that's, that's, what they need to be you know there's certain jobs that need to do certain things you can't have uh, uh, a journalistic mindset or yeah sort of debating mindset in certain in many scenarios within the police um and and i don't think that should be expected i guess um like you said yourself there is an aspect of the police that is enforcing the law or um and the the main thing is sort of protecting what did you say protecting the prevention, preventing, preventing crime happening in the first place, in whatever aspect that is, yeah. Sure, sure. Um, but have you seen, obviously you don't have to give specific examples, um, but uh, unless you're comfortable to, but do you think there is a danger within the police because they have this power, because you have to, like you say, you have to have this black and white mindset and this authoritarian mindset as part of the job, do you think there is a danger and have you seen a danger in, in people easily tipp- tipping over uh, into that mindset too much and, and taking on that, that mindset too, uh, too far? Of course there is. Of course there's that danger and of course that does happen. Uh, and that's where uh, supervision and whistleblowing comes in. It, uh, or, you know, so that's, of course there's that danger in the same way that there's a danger that you get a, um, a manager or leader who has power over somebody, a CEO, who becomes a bully. Mm. Um, because power can do that to people. Mm. Um, and that's where you need the strong supervision. You need the oversight. You need um, independent oversight sometimes um, to be able to deal with that um, appropriately. Sometimes that means 
talking to somebody who's just gone taken a step too far. Sometimes it means dismissing somebody who's gone far too far. Mm. Um, but there's always that danger, and I think it's that's obvious, and I think that's obvious to all people in the police as well. Well, yeah, I guess most most people. There's always, like you said, there's always going to be some people that um, bad eggs in any organisation. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, you sort of rattled through them briefly, actually. But um, what what do you find are the most effective ways to prevent a police officer um, either consciously or unconsciously going too far in a in, in that sort of uh, power hungry authoritarian mindset? What what within the Met, I guess what what do you think are the most effective ways to to avoid getting to a situation like that? Uh, good, strong leadership and supervision. Right. And by leadership, I mean, uh, like Dwight Eisenhower said, you don't um, uh, leadership isn't hitting somebody over the head. That's assault, not leadership. It's about leading people, mm. leading by example, by setting clear um, standards, objectives, um, and sticking to them, and making sure that when people do overstep the mark or do do something which you're not happy with you have that discussion you have maybe a coaching discussion or you just sometimes just tell them off or mm. deal with them in some other way which is appropriate to the situation mm. um i think that is the number one way in which you can deal with it having a mentor that you can look up to and and follow their lead type thing uh, I wouldn't go far, so far as a mentor. I, I think it's just a super, super a level of supervision or yeah. a, a, um, a system of supervision which allows for that to be checked. Um, at, you know, I had um, when I was an inspector at Tottenham, I had what I called my simple man speech. So my sergeant, new new person on the team, knock on the door. The sergeant would knock on the door. Governor, do you want to do your simple man speech? Um, and then this person would come and it'd be, uh, well, I'm a simple man. And what we do is we uh, work with the, we work to start to, we prevent crime. And when crime happens, we, we try and, and I'm talking proper crime uh, in my eyes, not people speeding and things like that. Um, but when crime happens, we arrest the right person with good evidence and we convict them. Mm. So I don't want you making up evidence. I don't want you, um, you know, stitching people up or anything like that. That is my expectation. We'll prevent crime, and then when crime happens, we will do something about it in an ethical and proper way mm. to get the right person in front of the court. Yeah. So that every single person who joined my team knew what my expectations were. My sergeants knew what my expectations were. And that was enforced and or reinforced every time we, you know, I did a briefing, every time I did a debrief, every time... It was just part of the culture of my team. And you, what were some of the uh, main problems with, again, you obviously you won't have to say specific people or scenarios, but um, what were the, when you were leading and supervising a team, um, mm -hmm. what were the main problems you found in terms of um, not, not like uh, admin or, you know, but in terms of, uh, the uptake of, of a good culture and and the uh, behaviour of the the police were there any things that would come up and were 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 quite common in the first let's say five years of of being fairly new and and trying to get your bearings? 
I think the you, you've already alluded to the, the the throwback to a previous culture, um, which um, wasn't great at times. Um, so there was some hanging on to that, um, and I think most of it, to be honest with you, is frustration. I think it's what the, built the, out the, of fr- the newbies being frustrated. No, I think any, anybody being frustrated, anybody who's trying to um, do their job uh, in a criminal, uh, police officers trying to do their job in a criminal justice system, which is so heavily in favour of the perpetrator and not in favour of the victim, um, creates enormous amounts of frustration. And that's where people start trying to cut corners uh, and trying to, um, you know, do things maybe a little bit to, because in their eyes, maybe they just see that they know that that person's done it and they're getting away with it um, because of the system. So that's that I would say that was the biggest issue which you had to overcome is actually pre- getting people to realize that you that you, you can only do your job. This, if the system means that a load of perpetrators go free, that's the system. We can't work outside that system because then we are, we, we become worse than the system. Mm. So but is that, is that sort of that, frustration with politics then? The politics of it? Um, there's, I mean, it is slightly political. It is political, but it's it's the criminal justice system, uh, which is so heavy for me. It was so heavily and is so heavily in favour of getting the uh, perp- the accused person off than actually finding out the truth of what happened. Uh, and uh, so anti the victim and so pro the, uh, the, perp- the alleged person. Oh, that's interesting. So in what way do you mean then? Um, so let's, let's take something simple, a shoplifter. Let's mm. take somebody who's been a shoplifter. Okay, Uh, the police officer goes down, arrests them and they bring them back uh, to the police station to be interviewed before they have before that person is interviewed. um, That person and their solicitor, who they're entitled to and quite rightly so, is allowed to see all the evidence that's against them. Right. Before they're even interviewed. So that means that the person or the solicitor, um, if the solicitor is... um, uh, not uh, uh, as ethical as maybe they could be, can look at all the evidence that's there and say, ah, now there's a hole there, there's a right. hole there, there's a hole there. So we can now make up a story which fits this evidence, but which can get you off in law. Mm. And that's just one thing. That's that, that's called disclosure. Um, so the prosecution have to disclose absolutely everything before you're even allowed to interview generally. So that allows um, the, the, the people to make up stories. There was a, the person who wrote the, uh, the um, books and the television things for Rumpole of the Bailey, uh, which is an old uh, program you'll never remember, because <laughs> uh, um, you're far too young. But he was a, he was a barrister. Uh, and he was interviewed once and was asked, why do you never prosecute? Why do you only defend? 
And he said, because prosecution, you have to stick to the facts. Oh, right. and, and there's no there's no imagination, there's no creativity there. Whereas with defending, the sky's the limit. Right. And it's that is that sort of thing, which is it is so. And I, I'm I'm not, you know, I am not the sort of person who wants somebody who is not guilty to be found guilty. Yeah, of course. I yeah. don't. I really do not want that. What I do want is the person who is guilty to be found guilty. And like you say, it's it's the searching for the truth that is the important thing. So whether they're guilty or not, if you find out the truth, then then that's the important thing, isn't it? So it is for me, but it's yeah. not for the the legal system. Sure, sure. The legal system is about a gladiatorial. This is my uh, gladiator. This is you know, gladiator, and you find a way of fighting it out within a, within a system, as opposed to let's go to and let's let's try and find the truth. Is there? Uh, that because I'm not sure what the reason for that be. I, I could probably guess, but it sort of could fall maybe into human rights or some sort of uh, rights that have been enshrined at least in our laws. Is there is there a lot of that? Do you feel like there's there's sometimes where the police go against the the human human rights and these these other rights that um, uh, are you know in quote marks inalienable and and that's that can cause a frustration as well? Um, I don't understand that question. I guess sort of broadly, the human rights, you know, they're, they're, they're there to um, protect people in a very gem, general way. Um, yep. And I don't know, if, it, if it's a right in this country that you can see the evidence, um, mm-hmm. I don't know that that would be human rights or... I don't know. Is there is there that? Yeah, I don't know if I've made it any clearer. Yeah. Um, well, no, that's that. That is a criminal just. That is a criminal justice procedure, which is which was brought in. Um, I think in, after nineteen eighty four, sometime. Um, that's that's a criminal justice procedure, which may have been built on the fact that um, people have been not doing the right thing in the past, or, or keeping evidence back, or whatever. It may be. I don't know what, but that's. That is the process now. In terms of human rights, um, I think police officers are some of the... When you talk about the Human Rights Act, the human rights, um, the European human rights, I think police officers are some of the biggest advocates of that. As long as, And it's human rights as a whole. It's not, this is my human right. This is, so I have the right... Let's, let's take the demonstrations recently. Mm. I have the right to demonstrate. Um, but yes, you do have the right to demonstrate, but that's, you've got to take it as a whole. Human rights are about everybody. And, you know, if your right to demonstrate is likely to cause me to catch COVID or somebody else, uh, or it goes against COVID laws or whatever, then that human right is superseded and it's, this is written into both European law and British law. The human rights are superseded by the, the actual written constitutional law. So you you may have a right to demonstrate, but you don't have the right, um, whilst during, during that demonstration, um, to punch somebody. Because the assault laws of assault um, take precedence over your human right to demonstrate. 
Sure. I guess the uh, devil's advocate argument would be people who are very much your sort of uh, really uh, sort of uh, either behind or big advocates of human rights would would say once you start to take away uh, some human rights. So I guess this is a good example, you know, protesting during a pandemic. Um, uh, we, we will come into that more a bit later, but just as a general human rights question, um, I, I can see where you're you're coming from that it impedes on someone else's human rights if you protest because you're spreading the virus and then that causes danger. But yeah. then let's take another example. Let's say the government said all free speech about the pandemic. You know this podcast, for example, and any other uh, uh, media outlet cannot talk about the pandemic other than what the government say. Now, from a policing and government point of view, what you said, you could say, well, you know, it's it's good for the public just to hear the, the scientific view, the government's view, and that's going to keep everyone in line. And if people hear these toxic, you know, uh, anti-vaxxers and, and all these other things that could be labelled as toxic, um, um, then then that's bad on other people's human rights and compromise their safety. So do you see how with something like protesting... Um, it, it, if you start to compromise on the, the human right to, to, I think it's gather, as, I don't know, but yeah, protesting, uh, peaceful protesting, then then it's a sort of a, a, a downward slope and it can slide into to the powers that be getting more power and therefore human rights start to diminish. Do you, do you understand that sort of perspective? Yes, I understand it. I don't agree that that's... And I, I, I think it's, it's certainly possible... You've only got to look at Russia. You've got to look at China. You've got to look at many countries around the world where uh, those human rights are denied. Um, I don't think that's the case here. But do you think it I could be the case if if these things were to slide and slide more and more? I guess it, what it could I guess be. But, but some... let's be let's be realistic about this. It, absolutely, it could be if we were in a system where in, in Putin's Russia, where that they had that absolute power, and it was and it was uh, effectively you've got no power to get. There's no way of getting rid of it. Um, we live in a democratically elected um, system, uh, which is checked checked and balanced every five years. Um, and realistically, are we? Is the government saying, or or do you or does any? I do not believe, I can't talk for anybody else, I do not believe that this government is saying you cannot protest because of COVID in order to get more and more power, in order to then shut the, the press up, to shut up people uh, doing things like this podcast. Um, I do not believe that. I, I believe it is possible, but I do not believe that that to, that to be the case in this country at the moment. Do you think because of this government or do you think because of this country as it is? I guess the reason... No, I it's, thought... it's not this government. It's not this government at all. No, it's, it's this country and our, and our system uh, and the, um, the fact that um, actually we value freedom of speech and we allow freedom of speech incredibly. I guess um, the the... Uh, the other side of the argument which i think i sort of i don't really have a strong view on this but um it's something that i'm i'm i am confused about because I, I think what you're saying is down to i think the difference in opinion maybe comes down to fragility the fragility of democracy the fragility of um our systems and and in other times i would i might fully agree with you but i think what we've seen happen in america is is quite 
un- unbelievable and that is the free world you know their their laws and generally are a lot freer their capitalism is a lot freer they don't have as big a welfare state it is the free you know f- but something as fundamental as elections you know w- by by the right wing party um was m- a massive massive threat to to democracy and and i think with times that we live in like that when stuff like that is happening and it's almost become normalized then can you see how when there's you know in a, in a country like the uk which is a great free country like america when some of the freedoms like protesting like free speech if if they were starting to compromise even within a covid you know situation then you can you see how it can can get quite bad quite quickly so you know if, if trump had got his way and, and the whole election was de- delegitimized it wasn't just trump it was most of the republican party or at least half the republican party that said you know um these these elections weren't fair do you do you see why people are scared that this things like infringing on human rights can slide quite quickly um to a certain extent yes but you said this has become normalised. I don't think it has. You you look at the reaction around the world to Trump uh, and the Republican Party under Trump. I think it was this is not normal. And and let's be honest. Let's get back to the reality: is he's not there anymore. Mm. As a result of elections, he's out. He's in the wilderness. And the chances are, I don't think the, the Republican Party will get back. They might do. Uh, who knows? But. The reality is, we could go. What if? What if? What if? Uh, and can you see that it might this this might cause concern? But the reality is, he was who he was, an absolute travesty um, for democracy and for the free world. I think, in my opinion, but he's gone because America has seen that a, a democracy has seen that and voted him out sure but i mean it wasn't it wasn't very big difference you know he you know biden had the most votes in history and trump had the second most votes in history in the same election so it was close and 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 i think i mean this is my personal view i think it's good to have a certain amount of fear that these things can can crumble um and you know i don't want to get too much into the views on on boris johnson but um there are some views um, that Boris Johnson isn't a trustworthy person and he is I'm not you know comparing him to Trump he's nowhere near he's not he's not Trump in any way but there were concerning things about his honesty and his sort of populist messages not not so much now I'm sort of talking you know sort of the Brexit times um, so even though you, you trust you know our current government or uh, and our system I guess with, with certain things happening around the world with with Russia and and China and America um sort of slipping further into this sort of authoritarian thing there is i think a a a, a healthy fear in this country and all all countries really um that it is fragile and, and that we should be careful what rights we take away i agree i absolutely agree with everything you've just said Except the bit that I trust, I trust this government. Okay. Um, Very <laughs> nice. I, I, I don't trust any government, um, and I think it's that it is that healthy fear. Um, I, I, but you did say you trust. Almost, you trust when Boris Johnson says, you know, that you can't protest or whatever. But you trust he's not I doing it for the, the wrong system. reason. I, I, I do. I, 
I believe I, I believe that the government is stopping protest at the moment because of COVID. Mm. I do believe that, yes. Um, I do believe we're in the middle of a pandemic, and I do believe that they are basing that on the science uh, and uh, the person I love the most at the moment, which is Professor Chris Whitty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I listen to him more than I listen to Boris Johnson. Um, and, Have you got uh, a little shrine of him? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and Hancock is just uh, without the hand, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but, um, so Matt, so you mean? It's, it's not that I trust. Uh, it's not that I trust the government. I, I do trust in this in at this particular time. I do believe that they are saying, "Do not protest." In the same, do not protest because of COVID. In the same way, they're saying, "Don't go out and meet your family because of COVID." Don't have your family round. You know, I I haven't seen you face to face for months then mm. months and months and that hurts mm. uh, all my all my kids i haven't seen them face to face for months uh, and i do not believe that the government is doing that to keep us apart mm. um, or, or to go against my human right to see my family because it is built into human rights it's a right to family life mm. that is one of the human rights mm. so they are going against that but i do believe it's for the reasons that are, we are in the middle of a pandemic, and I think I do believe that it's that's the reason they're saying do not protest in groups. Do, do you um, think a lot of the disagreement that's happening then is down to intention? What you know, if Trump was in power, you might be saying a very different thing because it, yes, you might yes, see I, it as I, a power yes. grab. Do you so? Do you yes. think that maybe it comes down to the trust of the intention of the government that's currently our government? Yes, yeah, yes, I think that's a fair comment. I think that's a fair summation of it. Cool. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. But I do. But I also agree that you, you do need a, a skeptical view of any government. Mm. Um, uh, and I do think you, in the same way, going back to the conversation we had, which sort of led up to this, you need a skeptical view of your police officers mm. to make sure that they're not overstepping the mark. Mm. Do you, do you think? You need... Sorry, this is just my last question on this sort of thing. Um, do you think there is enough evidence there for people to? Uh, question Boris Johnson's uh, trustworthiness? Um, not not in terms of the, the pandemic necessarily, but his history. Um, I think, yes, I think, it, you know, we've discussed this before, Dan. I don't trust politicians. I think they lie. Um, they don't answer questions. They answer the questions that get set to them with the questions that they want to ask or what they want to answer. Um, I think there is a uh, good reason to, to distrust most politicians. Mm -hmm. um, there are some who I wouldn't put in that category. Um, we've discussed that before, and I think we just mentioned it on the last podcast. So yeah. I think, yes, yes, Boris Johnson uh, is, you, you should question his trustworthiness across the board. Um, and I do think that with every politician. Okay. Um, so I guess we'll sort of shift now and just talk more specifically um, about different different subjects over the last year. So the obvious one is is COVID, um, and maybe can you? I mean, you've already touched on it. Can you just give sort of an overview of what your view are on on the COVID restrictions? Um, they are there to protect society. I think they are stringent. They've been 
very, very hard to comply with. Um, and uh, it has caused incredible difficulties throughout society, um, social, economic, um, mental. It's just incredible how this pandemic has affected society. But I do believe that those restrictions are necessary because when they've been enforced or when they've been in place, the instance of COVID has come down massively on both both uh, May, June, July last year um, and January, February this year. Hmm. Okay. Um, I, I'm just, I know you've already mentioned it in that answer. I just sort of want to just sort of push it even a bit more. Um, so I'll just sort of throw out a few few statistics and stuff. So um, the numbers of people, these are all BBC reports, the numbers of people reporting moderate to severe symptoms of depression has doubled since the start of the pandemic. Uh, police recorded 259,000 domestic abuse offences between March and June, 7% up on the same period last year. Uh, on 2019 and the economy fared very badly last year adjusting for differences in methodology still leaves the UK towards the bottom of the league of economic performance um I know we're not economists I know we can't look at all the figures and, and really but in your opinion do you think the the restrictions and the lockdowns have have been been worth it and, I, and I'm not I know I just want to say for myself you know without you repeating it again I, I do know that you absolutely feel for all the people that are going through either economic hard times and domestic abuse and, and mental health um but as a whole do you do you feel uh looking back if it could be done again that the um it, it was worth the lockdowns for the, for these other um, I don't know. If that's a horrible way to to put it. It probably is. Um, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I understand. Well, is it was it worth it? Um, yes, I think it was worth it. But I do think massive mistakes have been made. I think Christmas was an incredible mistake by mm. this government, um, allowing people to meet over Christmas, even for one day. Um, by allowing people to do it for one day, they did it for many more, and, and getting look people's at hopes the, up as well. Yeah, and look at the spike. Hmm. Look at the spike afterwards. You know, you know, my wife's a, a funeral in, in the funeral business. She, January and February, they have never ever been so busy, hmm. and it was tragic. So, of course, the domestic abuse is dreadful. Dread, domestic abuse goes up every Christmas. I know that. I was in the police, and you have to deal with it. It's when families get together um, hmm. and are stuck inside together. Uh, that actually a domestic abuse goes up. So it's no surprise. It's wrong. It's no surprise that domestic abuse... But I always mentioned the mental health has gone up. So was it worth it? Yes. Um, I do not think we should, have been, we should um, be in the position that we are now. I think the government has made massive mistakes in coming out of uh, lockdown too early uh, and causing the second sp the, the spike that we've just had. Um, and I think we should have got to the point where we were much, much more secure um, uh, before opening up. I think, are, are that, there, are, I think that was the, that was the biggest error for me. Are there any opened up too quickly? Sure. Are there any policies specifically, like areas 
um, or other countries that are comparable in terms of what you would you would want to see if it was to, to happen all over again from last year? You know, go back in time I, type thing. I don't know. I, I'm I'm not enough well enough versed in the the politics and the the rules in other countries. Do you sure. see some country? You know, I, I do see Australia. Mm. Um, you know, I, I look at Australia and I think the moment they get one, mm. the whole city is closed down. Mm. So that sort of, but you know, and, and they are going fundamentally against the human rights of everybody. Mm. You know, if we, if we're going back to that argument. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, are, they are really, really stringent about it um, and imposing in not incredibly stringent um, restrictions. Mm. Yeah, I think Melbourne case. was the, the most, the longest restriction in the world. Yeah. So mm. I think, um, but as a result, mm. how many cases have they got? So mm. Mm. I, I think it, it is worth doing the restrictions. I think if it had been done in the right way, that would be better. It would, if it had been, you know, if it had been more stringent and we hadn't opened up so quickly and so far, uh, and when further cases happened, we dealt with it more stringently. I think that will, that would have uh, put us in a much better position now than we currently are. Do you think there was a problem with the messaging? I know that we've sort of talked about this throughout the the last year, like, you know, where the government affair, where, you know, when we've had little disagreements, we've also agreed, probably mostly agreed. Um, do you, I sort of see, I don't know if you agree, but do you think there was a problem with the messaging? So, for example, I remember when they changed their stay at home to, like, stay alert, uh, so it was that sort of thing. There was also this up and down sort of like you're sort of in you're sort of out that you can do these very it, it seemed like by september people weren't didn't really know what the rules were they'd have to look it up like 10 times in a week to actually figure out for sure um so do you whereas in march and april i felt like it was really clear it was like duh, 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 and it's really simple um and also with Dominic Cummings and going off on the trip to Durham, what what are your sort of views on on the messaging? Do you think that was an aspect that was, or, or were you happy with with how the messaging was? No, I agree with you. I think uh, the, I think the messages were at each time that they issued messages and regulations, because um, you know that I've been very strict, or we have been very strict around complying with the rules. Mm. Um, uh, and whether that's my police background or just uh, scared of getting COVID, I don't know. Mm. Um, but we have been very... So each time they've come out, they, we have um, read them very carefully and stuck to them very carefully. But I think you are right that... Um, I think whether people were confused or um, because they haven't read them or haven't read them in depth or people were looking for ways around it because people didn't like the fact that they were sure. locked down. Sure. Um, I think by changing the messaging, I think you're right, that um, it either caused confusion or caused um, loopholes, which people tried to exploit um, in order to do the things that they wanted to do. Uh, and that caused problems, yes. Mm. Do you, because you have been... Um, uh you know much you've been sticking to the rules and you've been sticking to the guidance um do you feel there are individual scenarios where the rules can be broken you know should be broken and this is more of a moral question as opposed to to a law you know do you do you think there are or do you do you think it's 
Um, do you think it's something that everyone sh- should have just been been sticking to to the letter? Um, for for example, I guess uh, a friend of yours that lives, you know, a friend a friend of mine or something lives lives close by. Um, or let's say they don't. Let's say they live maybe a twenty minute drive away, and they're they're suicidal and they're they're basically they haven't got anyone else to to talk to and they've only opened up to me and they, they said I'm, I'm you know and I feel that the best thing to do is just to obviously I know this is an extreme example but um is is to drive up there and actually see them in person and 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 do something about it if I if I had felt like I had no other options if they said to me like I need to see someone now um or I'm gonna do it whatever um yeah what do you think there are individual scenarios where it's we have to take our own judgment um i think there are possibly extreme examples like that where um it it can be done Uh, i the problem but i see massive problems with that um because what is somebody's extreme example is um I've got, I haven't seen my mother for, um, she's in a nursing home and I haven't seen her for six months. I've got to see her. Mm. She, she needs to see, now that, that uh, could be an extreme, for them, that is an extreme example mm. because they're used to seeing their mother every day, let's say. They're used to visiting her every day. Um, so where do you draw the line? What is, and, and that's the problem, is where you draw that line. Uh, in so overall, I would say that there may be extreme examples where it is justified morally, mm. but I honestly believe that if you open that door, you're opening a Pandora's box, and somebody sees that. Look at Dominic Cummings. Mm. Everybody, so many people said, "Well, if he can do it, I can do it." Mm. Um. So you open it just a little bit and everything streams out. Everything streams through that. So there is, there as is a, a general a, rule, I would say stick to the rules because they are there for everybody's safety. Sure. And again, I'm talking morally now. I I, uh, I know you were as well, but um, in terms of Dominic Cummings, there is a difference, I feel, a big difference between anyone who's in the public eye, especially a politician or a police officer or someone in position of power. I think there is a difference between someone in the public eye morally um, than someone who's of course, private. Of course. Yeah. And I was, just, I was just using that as sure. an example of how you open the door a little bit and a load of things through it. But the same could be, you know, um, in, in so many circumstances. So if it wasn't somebody in the public eye, if... Um, those two um, women who were um, caught, I think, um, having a coffee together mm. at a car park, um, and that was against the rules. It was enforced, and then then the police actually withdrew it because of the uh, the outcry in the press, um, and as a result, then loads and loads of people were meeting for a coffee. Right. Um, so it, it doesn't, it, it's not a matter of, it, I, I, it was just an example of opening Pandora's box. And, and that's the concern. It's, it's such a, with, with moral things uh, or ethical things, there, therein lies the problem because what is moral or ethical for one person 
can be a far extreme to what is moral or ethical for somebody else. Is that why? No, I can, Sorry. I can see absolutely why you would want to go around to your friend's house uh, mm. and, and in that situation. I would I would say, is there no is is it not is that not a matter for the police or emergency social services sure. first? Sure. Yeah. But you know, there, there's no other way. I can see that, but that might, as I say, that might be interpreted that that's okay. It's perfectly okay to go and see my mother in a nursing home because I haven't seen her six months. So your main concern is the, I guess, what we were talking about with the human rights downsliding. You know, once you start to ease restrictions in the downsliding on a personal level, then then it will go down type thing and you'll start to do more and more and your friends will start to do more. Um, yeah, and that's what we've seen that happen. Do you think that's, um, what, why, do you think maybe you, uh, that's why you maybe resort to the law because it's maybe uh, simpler you don't have to get into sort of the the moral vagueness. It's it's easier just to um, to to stick to the law. And then, and do you think that's part of the reason that you've you've stuck to it so strictly because it is, um, I guess, easier. You know, to just to in in a sense of uh, moral and mental deliberation. Uh, do you think that's that's part of the reason? Um, I think it is easier. But I, it is easier to interpret. I don't think mm. it's easier to do. No, no. Um, because, like I say, I've not seen any of my family face to face for months and months and months. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so I think September was the last time I saw any, any of my family face to face. So uh, it is easier to do. Um, it, it is easier to interpret. It's not so easy to do. Sure. Um, I, um, yeah. And uh, how but do I, you... And, sorry. sorry, one other thing I think on that, and that is I actually do think it's ethically right to comply with the rules as well because of the effect on other people. I, there, there is that, you know, there is a massive ethical part of it for me that this is a pandemic, mm. a deadly pandemic, and... You are, you know, by breaking the rules, for whatever reason, you are putting other people at risk. Mm. Yeah, I guess, I guess it it always comes into it, though, doesn't it? Like when there's a law, there's the morals that people have, and when there's morals, there's usually a law that's trying to be advocated for. And um, yeah, every, yeah, everyone's, even though the law is is um, is what it is, and it is black and white, uh, the morals will always be variant across across people. Um, yeah. This is more of a yeah, person. Absolutely. You've just got to take theft. You know, somebody theft is wrong. It's it's morally wrong, uh, and so they've made a law against it. But is it morally wrong for the person who's going to die of starvation mm. to steal an apple from a greengrocer's? Mm. So yeah, I, I accept that. And and this is more of a personal question. How have you coped with the moral side of uh, seeing other people? either that you know and, and let's let's just say with the with you know obviously don't you know, I know you won't mention anyone but how have you coped morally with that seeing someone uh you know maybe go really far with breaking restrictions and then also sort of the smaller breaks as well how have you coped this last year you know having your sort of um strong morals that you do and and uh how have you sort of dealt with that uh, I've got annoyed. Yeah. On many, many occasions. Not only people I know, but also, you know, um, 
the stuff that you see in the news. It's just um, incredibly annoying. Um, that's the only way I can deal with it. Is do you get do, annoyed by it? Do you do you do you, yeah? Have you tried to keep it to yourself, or have you you let people know, or? Um... Well, Suzanne and I talk about it all the time, but mm. that's that's as far as it goes, really. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, uh, people know uh, people who know me know my views on it, um, uh, and if you if you would start telling me about let's say we were in a conversation and you would start telling me about how you're going to break the rules tomorrow, mm. I'd just say I- I've had enough of this conversation. Thanks, Dan. Um, let's move on to something else. Right. Right. Okay. So you, you sort of. You, you let people know what you think of that without actually sort of telling them type thing. The reason I ask yeah. is because it is, I think people who are trying to stick to the rules um, and and have a more sort of strong moral view on it, um, I guess it's been a learning curve for all of us to think, how do I deal with this? You know, on one extreme, yeah. it's sort of going, shouting that person's face and going, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, da, 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 da. And then the other extreme is just, just keeping it all to yourself and not saying anything. So... So, yeah, that's why I'm sort of curious how you sort of dealt with it. Um, yeah, I think the shouting doesn't work because mm. then you know, it just turns into an argument of them justifying their behaviour. Um, and the keeping quiet is not really in my nature. So it, 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 I, I'm more to the keeping quiet side. Uh, most of these people are adults who can make their own decisions. Mm. Um, but I just think it's wrong. Um, and I think you're putting people in danger. So I'll say, well, I don't want to talk about it. I'm not willing to talk about that mm. um and i think people will know the reasons why mm. okay um so sort of uh still on the, the same sort of lines of, of covid but um uh, sort of going to a slightly different subject so uh you've mentioned a few times over this last year um that you you you've been quite you've had some criticism towards uh the way journalism has been conducted, I'll put it like that, um, by certain journalists. Um, what What is your criticism of what you've seen of journalism over the last year? Um, it's not balanced, and it's uh, is one. Um, and in, in secondly, what? oh sorry, sorry. Well, I'll, I'll deal with that one first. Yeah. 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 Sure. Sure. Um, it's not balanced in that. And I'll take Laura Kunzberg. Um, I watched Laura Kunzberg on the night of the Brexit. Um, I think it was Brexit, or was it the um, no the European elections when the Brexit Party did really well? Um, so it was after we voted for Brexit, but before we actually before it actually happened. Um, and the European elections and the Brexit, uh, Nigel Farage's Brexit Party did really well. And I thought. I hadn't come across her much before, and I thought, what a brilliant journalist. Putting both sides of the story very well, very articulately, um, I was really, really impressed. Um, And then COVID happened, and I have to say, I have been least impressed with Lorkensburg than probably just about any other. Peston's pretty pretty poor as well. but in terms of so overall journalism for towards covid has been very very one sided now i understand that journalists have to um challenge um what the government are doing um in this sort of circumstances in any circumstances uh, they have to challenge it 
but it's only been challenged. It's only been the negative reporting, the negative outcomes. Um, uh, up until... Sorry, what, what do you mean exactly? Um, so uh, what, what, in what way are they unbalanced? And what, um, uh, what, what uh, side do you think they seem to be, be on? They are on the side of everything the government do and have tried to do is wrong. And, and in what way do you think that they've done that? Because like you said, the questioning is a part of their job. They, they have to put hold power to account. Um, how, yeah. how, are they, how are they supposed to have... How do you think they could have done it better uh, Yeah, while still holding power to account? Well, first of all, the the second part of my point Sorry. about journalism it was was questioning. Uh, so, we'll, as uh, the questioning has been pathetic, actually. Right. Um, if you watch back the last ten, fifteen weeks of briefings since since regular briefings started up again, um, the government have briefed, the government um, plus the medical uh, experts. Um, you know, Witty, Valence, Van Tam, whoever, they've all given a briefing for about 15 minutes. And then the questions from the journalists since it, uh, have been asking the question that has been already answered in the briefing. Right. It's actual complete waste of time and effort. So all the government or the medical people do is repeat what they've said again. Some of the better questions have actually been from members of the public. Sure. Um, and, and it appears that in the questioning point of, point of view, they have a question which they are going to ask no matter what the uh, briefing tells them. It's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic question. They're not reacting to um, what the briefing is and then thinking, like, extrapolate that. How does that, how's that likely to affect? Okay, what, what, here's a good question. They've got their question before they even start. It's, mm. it, it really is poor questioning, in my opinion. Sure, um, yeah. And so, I, but I understand that they have to question the government, and I, that, that's fine. Um, but in terms of the questioning is always accusatory. It's, not, it's always preambled with, um, uh, do you not think you should resign because, or something <laughs> along those lines. Piers Morgan's you know, favourite question. <laughs> but yeah, it's that sort of it's that sort of thing. It's not it's not actually seeking information. And then when when the briefings or the questioning is over, they only put the the negative side, the, the, the how how bad everything is. And it's only recently, and it's the government who are putting the positive side. You know, seven hundred and forty four no eight hundred and forty four thousand people um, uh, vaccinated yesterday. Mm, mm. You know, but that hasn't come. The government, the government are putting that out. That's not headlines um, uh, on. You know, uh, when when they're BBC or ITV or other people are, or Sky are um, talking about COVID. That's not the first thing. It never is. So there's never any positives, and there are some real positives here now. Now there are. Sure. Um, I, I mean. I just want to say, just for for sort of other side's sake, I have actually seen the sort of main headlines about the the vaccination rate and how well it's going um, in the BBC. But 
um i get that maybe on the whole you you haven't seen that much of it um i first of all i sort of want to just with the questioning thing i i don't feel the need to go too much into that because i actually agree i think um you know we've talked about this before but um i i found uh, in in many cases whether it's the briefing room or uh dominic cummings i mean the dominic cummings one as i mentioned to you before was a was such a missed opportunity you know i, I really love journalism i love good journalism and for for me uh, that's why i completely agree with you about the questioning is because you 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 also believe in journalism um and you that is more you want it to be better you want better questions and i think in that sense yeah. i completely agree the dominic cummings one was a massive missed opportunity that he never really talked to the media they had him sat down you know like a, a duck in a barrel they could have bombarded him with really nuanced interesting questions taking what he just said but every single um reporter that went up to the mic pretty much said do you think you're better than everyone else pretty much that and it was just a massive missed opportunity so I just want to say that first. In terms of the questioning, I I do completely agree with you. Uh, I think it's been really poor. Um, um, and this, I think, we're probably talking. This isn't across the media as a whole. There's obviously been many many good reports, and uh, you know, <laughs> I think the Daily Mail. Even though I'm very very not a fan of the Daily Mail, I think uh, these sort of newspapers actually have started to this year, last year, they've started to do really good work. Um, but anyway, so th that that stuff, I don't think we can really go too much into. Um, but the balance one, I I'm still sort of to come back to that. I don't. What what do you, what would you want to see? Because for 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 me, like when it's a pandemic, the the government they they have to hold the them to account and they have to put negative stuff to them they have to it's part of questioning you know we're both a fan of andrew neil and um he does a thing where he puts you know uh, a bit of information or he 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 slams them with with a very um difficult question so i i'm still struggling to see what about the balance of it what you wanted to see how you wanted them to be um held to account I want what? What do I want? I suppose I want them like the like I want from the criminal justice system. I actually want them to ask questions and find the truth, um, rather than preempting it with the with the Piers Morgan. Do you not think you should resign because? Mm. And most of the stuff that they're doing is um, is around how badly they've done. Now I understand they need to, to question that, um, but it's it's after that when you see um, the okay. So we've had the um, uh, we've had the briefing, let's say, and then they take another half an hour to talk about it afterwards, um, and it's always the negatives. There's never there's never anything about how what has been done that's positive. What's you know the the, the truth of uh, the of the situation. You know, they only ever interview um, nurses and doctors who are thinking of resigning, let's say. Mm. As opposed, you know, um, <clears throat> you know uh, they don't talk to, uh, I, I, I know I love him, they don't talk to, to Chris Whitty about the fact that on Christmas Day he was in, he was in, a, in, a, in a ward uh, helping out, do, you know, doing just doing ward at normal doctoring stuff. He's, you know, he's the chief scientific officer 
or the chief medical officer, and he's just doing doctoring, you know, because he thinks it's the right thing to do. So those sort of those sort of things where they only talk to people who are going to give a negative view. There are lots of good things going on. The only the only positive they go is oh, our wonderful NHS. Yeah, we all know that, but where's where's the people from the NHS who are saying, you know, how what, what good things have happened? Sure. Um, I guess I guess it is difficult this one because it depends on what you've seen, what you've read. You know, it's I personally don't, and I'm happy to sort of delve into this, but I personally don't think that's been the case um there obviously has been cases where the bbc have been biased and and they they will always be in in some way um but i think um part of the the reason i i don't think it has been um very anti-government anti-government messages because i've seen a hell of a lot of um people attacking the bbc for being the exact opposite for being sort of like the spokespeople for the government just sort of just going along with this uh this lockdown thing that it's you know sort of um not not challenging them enough so for example i mean um peter hitchens who i know you really don't like and i'm i'm i disagree with him on 99 percent of what he says but he very much has been one of the most outspoken people um lawrence fox as well again these aren't people i disagree i i disagree with largely I haven't seen them on the BBC. Um, I haven't seen them uh, being able to put their anti-lockdown stuff forward. Um, so, so I I can see when the other side, when when there's sort of you know you saying that they 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 are too anti what the government are doing, and then the other side is saying they're too pro what the government are doing. It sort of makes me think. Well, they're probably somewhere somewhere in between. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know if you what you think of that but i think it's probably um there's there's no accounting for that is it is obviously different perspectives uh, mm. and we all have different perspectives uh, but that's that you know you ask my opinion and that's that's my opinion uh, is that they, they, there is there hasn't been balanced enough i don't think there has been enough um of the the good stuff that has been done you know um and i do think the quality of the questions and you agree with me yeah. has been just yeah. dreadful yeah okay so so in summation you'd like to see uh well i guess we've been mainly talking about the bbc but so the bbc doing putting more positive stories out there about the progress we've made and the good things that the the government have done yeah i think it's more about the progress we've made and things that that have been done not necessarily governmental um you know uh societal as well Again, I, I, sorry to just, just put another view out there. And I, you know, I don't expect it to, to be a, a back and forth for, cause it is, like you say, it's just different views, but I think that's just a problem in the media, to be honest. That's just, uh, sort of the way that, uh, police have to have a black and white mindset. Media have to jump on the big news stories. There's a, a great book I'd recommend anyone read by Steven Pinker called Enlightenment Now. It's not a Buddhist book. It sounds like a really airy fairy new age, but it's about, uh, progress over time and uh, part of the problem is he gets asked and in the book sort of why don't people realize how much how far we've come in terms of you know violence going down you know uh, gay rights women's rights children you know all these things as we've made such amazing progress um, and, and one of the reasons that we don't see it is because the media 
don't care you know about um we've moved up a tiny percentage point in in three years you know it's not a big news story so i i just on the progress point i think i think that's just a problem media wide they they need they need you know good or bad um they need stories that are you know um you know front page and can be like this is happening now type thing um so yeah i I wouldn't necessarily say that's a problem with the bbc um i would say that that specific on reporting progress uh can be difficult in general across the media yeah i agree i think it doesn't sell it doesn't sell does it and that's what uh, at the end of the day most of most of them are looking for the next headline they're not looking for the truth it's like uh, the legal system is looking to get somebody off to get somebody convicted or to get somebody off as opposed to looking for the truth it's just that's the way of the world mm, sure okay um well we've got a bit more time uh you happy to go on to something else yeah cool okay well i thought we'd maybe go into protests um and dem- and demonstrations i just before we get into this i i think if we can just be on the same page that i'm referring to peaceful protests i'm not talking about people that are violent um are clearly don't care about the the lockdown sort of safe social distancing if we can just be on the same page that when we're talking about protesters um we're talking about the people who are peaceful protesters care about the cause and want to to let their voices heard is that is that fair enough to start on the ground of it is but you've got to bear in mind my experience of peaceful protesters is that most people who go on protests are peaceful protesters protesters but on just about every protest that I've ever policed, there are people who are hell bent on violence. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, yeah. And um, or going beyond peaceful protest. Um, so, uh, and that's where things start to go wrong. So, although, so I, I'm quite happy to talk about peaceful protesters, um, but with that caveat that actually, within most groups of peaceful protesters, will be a small number. Sure, as there are in any group of society who are willing to go way beyond um, sure okay well as long as we can make that distinction when we're talking it's like um people talk about the police and like oh the police kneel on people's necks like well no it's if we're going to have a conversation about the police we've got to assume that most police are good police officers so um yeah so with that in mind um what are some of your thoughts about the protests that have happened over lockdown um um we can start with an example or i don't know if you just want to start with your your general view on 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 protests over over this last year uh if they're contrary to covid restrictions they shouldn't be taking place okay um so for example i guess the two main ones that stick in my mind um well the first i think uh it definitely was a protest and it was worldwide was the black lives matter protests um and the 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 second one is you know it, the the wording is difficult but it, i think the majority of the organizers it was a vigil so it's a vigil for sarah everard um and um sort of on that point of um it shouldn't be happening i guess this is where we're going to get into the moral stuff so um do you feel like there's no cause that is worth uh, voicing in a protest form um, out out on the streets. Obviously, we're not talking about virtual protests. Um, that is worth 
breaking the restrictions to to do? No. Right. Okay. And, and my ba and the basis for that is because um, what are you hoping to achieve? I, I've policed thousands and thousands of protests uh, in my life, um, and seen many, many more on the television. Uh, all generally for very good reasons, very good causes. Mm. Um, and most of them have achieved absolutely nothing. No change, no nothing. Uh, even, you know, the Countryside March, which had a million people walking around London, a million people achieved nothing. So uh, there's, I am totally behind people having a view and expressing that view um, and even protesting outside COVID uh, or demonstrating um, if, they, if that's what they want to do. I don't think it'll achieve much, to be honest with you, uh, in, in my experience, um, but they're perfectly entitled to do it. But if it's going to achieve very little in reality, because it, it doesn't, um, just having a group of people standing as a vigil or a group of people standing saying that they support um, Black Lives Matter doesn't, and by doing so, putting many, many thousands of people at risk of COVID. Okay, so maybe if we could focus in on your sort of view on protests first, um, because for me that seems like a very bold statement and i think to to people uh, to some people that would be especially maybe more liberal people uh, a protest achieved nothing is a very bold statement um and it doesn't achieve change it very rarely achieves change you tell you went on a black lives matter um pro, uh, demonstration mm. um what difference did that make um so, I mean, I I didn't follow, you know, to to I like to to follow like data and stuff. I didn't follow exactly what that demonstration would have done. Um, I would say if we're talking about the general Black Lives Matter protest, I think part of the problem here is is the definition of achievement. So, um, achieving all of what they wanted, all of what any protest want. Um, yes, I agree with you. Because all of the demands they want, I don't, I don't know of anything in history. Uh, m maybe if the the demands were were very simple, not simple, but if they were um, like Gandhi with independence, um, I don't know how the money other demands. But generally, with demands like we need to do this, 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 and this, and this, I agree that you can't really go into protest thinking every single demand is going to actually happen. Um, but I completely disagree. Um, was saying that achieves nothing because um, now um, for for many if not the majority def I, I would say the majority of ethnic minorities in this country have uh, experienced some level of, of racism in their country in in their life and I know people in ethnic minority who have never even spoken about it who have said to me uh, yeah actually that's happened to me quite a lot and I've been surprised um so so for them it's for this 
particular protest, the Black Lives Matter, um, it's it's bringing and and generally with protests in general, what it achieves at the very least um, is getting the conversation going again. And and with the Black Lives Matter protests, um, you there there has been a massive conversation in this country. And you may say, oh, what's the point of conversation? But it matters, and it and it. And, um... No, I, I wouldn't say what's the point of the conversation, Dan. I wouldn't say that at all. Okay, quite sorry, the opposite. Sorry, it, sorry. Quite the opposite. I think it, the conversation is good. But my question would be, do you think that conversation hadn't already started as a result of George, George Floyd um, and what had gone on in America? Do you not think that that conversation had already started? It was already going across the world and you standing on that in that field in St Albans, do you think that encouraged the conversation? Because I, because I, I, I don't, I don't think that. Made <laughs> I don't a think difference. anyone was paying attention to me specifically. But, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean, Dan. That's yeah. what it's. Well, that, yeah, it's being part of a that, movement. That conversation yeah. was being started had started already. Okay. So, I'm, I'm and, not... and you, you being involved in that conversation, I, I completely support. I completely support it, but I don't think you need to. You needed to go to St Albans and stand in a field with a load of other people. With, with the possibility of passing on COVID, um, to be to have to start that conversation, and that's what I mean by not achieving anything. Uh, uh, achieve, make, achieving change is what I said. It doesn't change anything because that conversation had already started. Sure, I don't know whether to approach this because there's a lot of things to sort of approach in this from the scale angle or the conversation. So, because you said like you standing in a field, I don't know whether you sort of feel like that sort of comment is is a, is around one person can't do anything can't is it that is is there, there that aspect to it i'm just trying to get to what your core beliefs no, are about so do you feel like one person can't make change no, i'm just asking no, it's, it's not that i i don't i i have never i have rarely if ever seen um demonstrations result in change of the change that people are there to demonstrate or protest for um well i i do believe that you need to have the conversation i do believe that one person can make a difference right okay okay absolutely one person can make a difference and one person or one person leads to two people leads to four people leads, uh, and big demonstrations show whoever whether it be the government or society or whatever the strength of feeling right so is that not achieving uh, something but it shows the strength of feeling. But what I'm saying is you don't need to do that. In a pandemic situation, you don't need to do that. You don't need to put other people in danger in order to get that message across. Sure. I do, if we can just leave the pan, I know, I know that you do feel strongly about that, but if we can just leave the pandemic out for now just to get to your your views on protests because you seem like you you know when you say something like it achieves nothing it's it's i can't ignore that you know i sort of want to pick into it a bit um because i'm sure there's many people who feel the same so i fully support your right and everybody's right to demonstrate and to show the strength of feeling um for a particular cause um I, i will i will again say that there is with every demonstration there is rent a mob who come along yeah um but for peaceful people who want to show their support for um, uh, a cause of whatever that might be, 
absolutely support it. I policed it in that respect do, do you, for okay. many, many no, years. No, I get, I I get that. I, I understand that you support the right and I, and I and I completely accept that you see it as a, a human right and you see it as we, we sh- yep. it should be uh, legal. But do you don't seem to think, uh, you don't seem to believe in it that it's it does anything. That's what I'm, I'm getting yeah. at. Yeah, I would never go on one because I don't think... I think it would be a waste of my time. I don't think it would achieve anything. Okay. I would rather I would rather write a letter to the government department according or phone to speak to somebody because I think that's more likely to achieve something. Um, okay. Well, get a, get a, maybe get a petition up to show strength of, uh, of feeling because actually you you normally get more signatures on a petition than you do get people at a demonstration. So that I think that possibly shows strength of feeling even more. So it's just, I don't think, I can't think of a time, well, many times, where it's actually made a difference to, say, government policy, to how things are policed or, you know, whatever they're protesting against. Um, I, I, I I get that. Um, I, because there's people listening, and I, I definitely felt this when you said it, that writing a letter... Um, if you're if you're um, uh, let's just say a black person who lives in uh, I think it was Bristol where Edward Colson statue and if you've written many letters over the years saying um, there's no clarification about his background in slavery you know um, I'd like this and then nothing happens I'm not condoning sort of ripping the statue down I'm not saying I'm for I'm not saying I'm against it either I'm just sort of saying um, the, there's many people who think writing a letter or signing position is much less effective than than actually being part of a very very visual thing that's going to get in the media. Um, so in terms of the conversation, um, I I definitely think that um, protests start a conversation a hundred percent. And the reason for that is um, there. Let's just take a few examples. So. Um, the the uh, extinction rebellion one like um the um and then I'll, maybe we'll do one what i disagree with so uh the anti-vaxxing um uh, protests and uh the black lives matters yes george floyd there, there was a horrendous thing that happened to him but there's horrendous videos throughout the internet of uh, uh people being killed by the police um and and but that starts a conversation but if it doesn't go anywhere if it doesn't um result in you know it's worldwide protests of black Lives matter that's gonna make the news you know that it you're not gonna it's it's surely you can see how that starts a wider conversation and the same with with extinction rebellion you know if, if somewhere gets flooded you know that is a is a um a story in itself but if if you then bring in this sort of uh, climate change and the effects and and you're making that message, then just saying, oh, there was an island in Indonesia that there was a little bit of flooding and three houses got destroyed. That's not going to make anywhere near the news and therefore the news will will not create a, a wider conversation. Uh, you know, companies, individuals, governments, they've had to, you know, um, because of this uh, social pressure that protests create, They've had to start thinking more about how they conduct themselves and and certain ways of doing things. Um, yeah, what what do you think of that? What difference has it made? Uh, what 
what has changed as a result of that? That's that's my question. You know, yeah, what yeah, has okay. changed as a result of Black Lives Matter? People, you say people started thinking differently, but what has changed? That that that, that rogue police officer who 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 killed him has is still being prosecuted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still going to be you know prosecuted for murder. Is, is um, it fair that you're only seeing change as law and uh, yeah, law law changes and actual uh, changes in the legal system. But that's what the protest is generally wanting. No, I don't. I that's, really don't. I generally, think... they do. You're protesting about something. No, I, I I completely disagree because people like um, David Attenborough, for example. You know, um, what has his program? What have his programs changed? We don't know, but we know that a hell of a lot of people are watching them and a hell of a lot of people, as a result, have become more aware of climate change and the effects. Um, so it depends how you judge uh, anything changing. And and yes, if you if you like I said at the start, if you if you see it within the confines of legality changing and actual laws around it, then then yes, very little does change after protest. But in terms of the public awareness and how they change their habits, how they change, they interact with people thinking again about maybe some some off-colour comments, um, you know, with the recent Sarah Everard thing, you know, um, there's, it when people do a big demonstration, it gets on the news, and because it's on the news, people are more aware of it. And yes, there's, there's then uh, debates on both sides, but that's a good thing. Um, and I think... Um, I mean, I could, could count, you know, point to a million examples of change if, that, if that's what you want. So uh, I watch a lot of uh, filmmaking videos um, and like uh, like famous directors and things like that, interviews. Countless of them since last year, Black Lives Matter protests, they're talking more about race within films. They're talking about, for example, the last episode I did was about script writing. So uh, one of the script writers said, what I realized a few years ago was from uh, was to not write uh, the color of someone into the script unless it's absolutely crucial. Just little changes like that. And that's just one small aspect of filmmaking. You know, in in uh, BBC, for example, on, on the news, uh, a lot uh, I saw a lot of stories last year um, about sort of uh, black police officers coming out and saying about, I mean, this is something we might get into more, coming out and saying that the racism they've experienced like only a year or two ago within the police. And so it, it creates a platform which can can create massive change for an individual who's like maybe experiencing racism um, uh, and they don't feel like, and you feel like it's normalized. When everyone's suddenly talking about it and it's more people in your organization going, oh, how do we become more inclusive? You might be able to say, well, actually, blah, 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 blah. So... I, I get maybe you could define it as soft, soft um, results, or uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 less quant- quantifiable. I'm sure a smart enough economists could quantify it, but but it's it is change, and I I think that that's why I take issue with with it uh, that you know that it's achieved nothing because just because it hasn't you know had sweeping changes in our legal system doesn't mean that nothing's changed. So that yeah, that's that was sort of my not, answer to your question about what's changed since the okay, Black Lives Matter. I, I accept that people may be thinking differently, but I think you know I, I think most of these changes were happening anyway. I honestly do believe that. Uh, in the my, my experience of uh, 
you know, the three places that I've worked specifically, um, most of these changes are, you know, you talk about inclusivity. Um, I've been talking about inclusivity within my work environment um, specifically for years. Look, let's look at where the barriers are to inclusivity. What's what's stopping uh, women getting to the top? What's stopping black people joining? What, whatever it might be, the whole gamut of inclusivity. Um, and, and that's my point. I think. I think a lot of these things. It's. It's. It. Of course, it starts a conversation. Um, and I, again, I. I do. I don't see do the change that okay. it requires. But the last thing. The last thing is. You know, the last thing I do want to say is I, I do absolutely support the people's right to protest. It is yeah. just, it is just at the moment in the pandemic situation. That, uh, and this, this came from your question. Your, your question was, is there any cause at the moment which, um, which is, which should uh, allow people to protest in a pandemic? And I said no, because I don't think the um, whatever it might achieve is worth putting thousands of lives at risk. Sure. Okay. I, I will come back in a sec. I just, I just, I, I really like to budge you a little bit. It may take a few more years, but I would like to budge you a bit because on this change thing, um, because I mean, from a marketing point of view, just just seeing it from a purely sort of black and white marketing point of view, um, when adverts are on the screen, um, we it it it's it makes a difference it gets more revenue like how much revenue is obviously dependent on the quality of the advert and whatever but let's yep. say it's an advert for a charity yep can you see that protests are an advert for a cause and a charity that they they in not in the sense that like you know you know adverts are really slick and glossy and they only say the good points um in that, that it's raising this you know it's, so it, absolutely it, there's there's absolutely. many many causes yeah, that. that that need our attention you know yeah, um, police officers that are going through ptsd or people coming back from the war um if, if for example um what what's like a cause close to your heart that's that's not um something to do with the police is there any yeah no of, I, I see your yeah, point there. I, yeah. I absolutely see it as an advert you know i i used to deal with somebody who was anti-terrorist and he's uh, in the, uh, the days of the ira when they were bombing london and they didn't even have to, the bomb didn't have to go off it's just the fact they planted a bomb, made it on the news, and that gave, gave uh, ab, you know, that advertised their course. Mm. Um, so, you know, something I completely disagree with. I see that you know, getting it on the news mm. um, is is an advert for the course. Sure. So, do do you not see then that that's going to engage people, and then they'll they'll change, uh, they might change how they how they do things and how they talk about things, and um, even though these you know conversations have been happening everywhere for a while it re it reignites it. it reignites this conversation and and people think again oh you know maybe maybe i made a bit of an off-color you know joke at work uh, about a black colleague maybe i'll actually i'll apologize for that i shouldn't be doing that maybe i'll chat to them you know these sort of changes start to happen in in they 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 bring them up again and even though you know you said you've been um uh sort of fighting or or, or pushing for equality in the workplace for a while it, it's not your only part of your job and and these things can just illuminate it for for a time being and and i guess i'm just trying to see if you can see in yeah, that no, sense that. do you accept yeah, that protests that. I can that. absolutely change. i see that it can it can refocus attention uh yeah absolutely i can see that um and um, and people think about it um 
I suppose uh, in that respect, there are micro changes, which I accept. But I, again, I come back to that's usually not what the protest is about. Um, and so that's it does for me it doesn't achieve what it's what they actually setting out to achieve. But I can I absolutely can see that if you know if they set the, the huge target, which they never really are trying to get, but all they're trying to do is to start the conversation uh, and see the micro changes. But then yeah, I can see that. Cool, cool. Okay, well I know that you've got head off now. Um, uh, yep. it's gone very quickly actually I've got a oh well a page of questions um, but uh, no I've, I've I've really really enjoyed this uh, conversation um, genuinely I, I hope other people have as well because it's such a topical conversation and it's so contentious I'm also really glad that we were able to have it um, and sort of understand each other's views and and come to you know places of agreement and, and stuff I think that's that's really important at the moment especially just to say my own views on sort of the police, I just think, uh, I mean, the, getting into the nitty gritty of sort of Black Lives Matter, that's that's another thing. But this real uh, anti-police um, uh, message that's going out at the moment and, and anti-police protests that happened in Bristol where they're literally attacking police, I think is absolutely disgusting. And, uh, and I think sometimes these debates can be so, so toxic. So... Yeah, I just want to thank you for for you know discussing these very contentious issues in a really in a really fruitful way, I guess. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Cool. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, if we uh, if if we can find another time, maybe we'll go through my my second page of questions, <laughs> which was about what very briefly. Very briefly, it was about the new police crime and sentencing and courts bill. Um, it was to do with police powers and uh sort of like uh sexism and other stuff like this within the police and yeah so that was sort of along the same lines of what we were talking about um okay maybe some other time sure sure <laughs> i do have to go yeah okay well well thanks a lot dad my, my lunch hour only lasts a certain amount of time <laughs> good to speak to you take care